Proudly presents Rapid on Racing, the Tri-State's number one motorsports talk show. Today's program is brought to you in part by our marketing partners. Recognized by the Eastern Motorsports Press Association as one of the top racing shows in the Eastern United States. Here's Rapid on Racing. So proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. Listeners, we have a very special show planned for you tonight. Normally, we record once a month during the off-season. But this is too important to wait for the next show. We're going to do a tribute to Joe Mihalik, one of the most successful drivers ever from the western Pennsylvania area. We hope you're going to enjoy it because it is history. From when Joe first started till he retired from racing after several years in NASCAR. Joe was an icon in the Pittsburgh Racing Association for many years. Then he went on to NASCAR. I think you're going to like hearing his story. Thanks for listening. We're here at the dedication for the Heidelberg Raceway, and we're going to take a minute and talk to Joe Mihalik, probably one of the most successful drivers ever to strap in down here. Joe, it is really nice to have you here, and people need to know you flew in from, from Florida just to be here. Yes, I flew, I flew in here, and I had a lot of little problems on the way up on the plane, and uh, uh, I had a, a layover at uh, Charlotte, and they ganged. First of all, I, I didn't have my driver's license and couldn't get on the plane. <laughs> and after I got to Charlotte, the plane was delayed because they were all gathered around the left front wheel on the plane. And I was wondering, is this a bad omen or what? Because I ran that race here with three wheels, you know. <laughs> We'll talk about that in a minute, but I know when I when I spoke to you yesterday, um, you mentioned that your first race down here was pretty impressive. Let's talk about that. Yes, I used to come here and I watched Dick Lender and Mike Clay Black, 
Clay Pack and Mike Little, and they were superstars. And I used, I was just a fan. I used to come here with uh, Ed Paola and his brother, and and we just sit in those stands and admiring. And we weren't even drivers yet. So when I did finally get here, uh, it was my first race at Heidelberg and first race on a bigger track. And Heidelberg was like going to the Daytona 500 in, in those days. And I won the race. Yeah, unbelievable. I'll never forget that. And to beat your childhood hero in Dick Linder, who was very good all the time, that had to be special. Yes, because Dick came in second. Now, you had considerable success here on the dirt and the asphalt, but the race that everybody remembers, and I think it was lap 94 of the Tri-State Championship, the left front wheel fell off. Yes, you're exactly right. And it was only the wheel, the spindle broke, so I had no brakes at all. And I thought I'd make a lap. I didn't know that at that time. I thought it was just a flat tire and, and, and the wheel came off. And, and I thought I'll just make a, a lap and I'll come in and get another one on there. And I learned to hold the car up on that, on that left side. And I thought, well, I'm running pretty good. I'm going to stay as long as I can. And uh, I was already four laps ahead. So uh, I ended up eight laps ahead of the second-place car, but no one, they thought it was really fabulous, and I guess it was, but uh, it made the car better when the wheel came off. I was there for that race and could not believe the fact you were still running. Well, then after Heidelberg closed, you then started running with NASCAR, and uh, pretty nice situation there. You were with the Viglione's here and as well in NASCAR. A little bit of some of your thoughts about that. Well, I, 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 I really appreciated that ride with Big Leon, and uh, I always dreamed of going to, to run the back, uh, tracks at NASCAR, and I appreciated that he gave me that opportunity, and uh, I had some help down there from Bobby Allison and uh, a few of the others, and I really appreciated that, too. You had a funny situation at a recent Living Legends meeting in Daytona. I'd like you to share that with the folks. Well, I uh, I was introduced by Buzz McKim, who is one of the big guns in the Hall of Fame in Charlotte. And he did such a good job that I was planning on just doing like everyone else, thanking some people for the opportunity but Buzz put something into me, and when I got up there, I thought, well, he told, Buzz told everybody what it was about, but I had to tell him about the, big, the way I began, and uh, I, I ran through a plowed field with my first race car. I built it by myself, and it, it had 98, I lived on a farm, and a, and a track a dirt track just opened for the first time, so I drove my car through the plowed field to the track and ended up winning. So I won three weeks in a row, and then, and then after that, uh, I thought, well, I'm going to go to some other tracks, but I had no way of getting the car there because I don't just drive through a plowed field anywhere I go. Uh, but I had a dump truck, 
and I loaded it up from the, the cattle dock we had on the farm. It was easy to just back up there and drive in, but once I got there, there was no dock to get it off. So what I did was dump it off, and you know you, you couldn't do much damage to those cars in those days. They were they were high, and they it, it went off pretty pretty easy, but when the race was over I had no way of getting it back on so I backed it up to the highest point that I could find in a, in a bank somewhere and I had somebody one of the spectators jump in my truck hold the brakes while I put the bed up and truck bed up and the tailgate down and told them well I'm going to take a run for it and when I get up to the top you hear me hit that bed of the bed in the truck you hit the lever on the right and drop it real quick so i don't slide back out and that's what he did and it worked very good so i did that a few times and and finally i found a car that was able to tow it to the other tracks well at that function uh, richard childress followed you later what were his, what were his comments after you talked well, Richard Childress got up there, and he was, of course, everybody was busting out laughing. And Richard said, well, I can't top that, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> we're talking with Joe Mihalik, one of the true legends here at the Heidelberg Raceway. Joe, we're really glad you came up. You're going to have a chance to see a lot of your old friends, and it's a pretty special day. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I had a lot of friends, and, and this is a very important place for me. We're talking with Joe Mihalik, and he mentioned a couple of his car owners, not only locally here, but in NASCAR. Joe Viglione, how are you? Okay. You know, you're still involved in racing. Uh, You had the modified, won six championships in a row recently at Motordrome. Uh, It's good to see you. Yeah. Well, nice to be here. Now, your brother Lou, who, by the way, owes me a steak dinner. We'll talk about that later. Some of your thoughts on... Mihalik and your brother and racing at Heidelberg. They were the they were the best days of our life, you know. And uh, that was real racing compared to today. So that's about it. You guys provided a lot of good cars for him. I remember uh, on the asphalt at Sharon, the number sixty, the cars that he ran here uh, at, at Heidelberg. Any idea how many wins the Viglione Mihalik team had? Uh, I don't. A lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah, a lot. We never kept track of any. Two pictures. I got. Oh, they're filming this. Okay. Oh, I I got. I got pictures of him. Yeah. He's always been a problem. Yeah, a real problem. (laughs) You know, he lent me a stack of uh, photo albums to put on the web page, and there were pictures of you two when you were kids learning to walk. So I scanned all the race car pictures, and he said, just take them to the track and give them to one of the crew members i said no your whole life is in these books so i delivered them in person because i didn't want to be responsible for anything like that happening well it's good that you're here today you're going to see a lot of your old friends tell some racing stories and we thank you for coming down thank you thank you i want to apologize to joe for blowing his engine well, he had the wrong gear in it, didn't he? He had the wrong gear. He stuck the wrong gear in it, and I blew it. Yeah, hey, I'm going to get some pictures. I have some pictures. I got them. I'm-
This portion of Rapid on Racing is brought to you by the Jennerstown Speedway Complex, home of the Motor Mountain Masters. For more information, check out Jennerstown.org. Area Auto Racing News is a great way to keep up to date on what is happening in motorsports. Some of their excellent writers include Ernie Saxton, Joanne Davies, Walt Weimer, and Dave Dragovich, just to name a few. Subscribe now to Area Auto Racing News at AARN.com. 50 issues at just $60 or digital only for $39 a year. For more information, call 609-888-3618 or go online to AARN.com. Stay informed with Area Auto Racing News. Number One Cochrane has created a new way, a faster way, an easier way to buy a car. Now you can complete as much of the process as you'd like online and spend less time in store or do it all online and get home delivery. Expressway is way easy to use. Just shop our nearly 20 new car brands and thousands of pre-owned vehicles to find the model that's perfect for you. We're big on transparency, so you get our best possible price up front. We call it our clear-cut price, and it's independently validated by Kelly Blue Book right on your screen. Our experts are standing by to help you throughout the entire buying process. You can also stop at any time, save where you are, and come to the showroom to pick up where you left off. Don't love your new vehicle? Don't worry, we'll take it back, no questions asked. Best of all, Expressway is open 24-7. That means you can buy your way with Expressway right away. Number one, Cochrane. See it all at Cochrane.com. Since 1974, Environmental Air Incorporated has provided quality sheet metal and HVAC services in the greater Pittsburgh area. They're a commercial sheet metal contractor. Founded in 1974 by Glade Neal, Environmental Air is a family-owned union sheet metal company currently managed by Paul and Craig Neal. The people of Environmental Air are both a team and a family. They believe customer service is important. They value their employees and know that together they can have a meaningful impact on each project or service they provide. Residential service is not available due to the magnitude of their commercial work. 47 years of excellent customer service is the foundation of this successful company. Environmental Air is located at 1100 McCartney Street, Pittsburgh, PA, 15220. For additional information, call 412-922-8988. And now back to Don Gamble and more Rapping on Racing. All right, fans, welcome back to Wrapping on Racing. Uh, we have a special guest joining us from Daytona Beach, Florida, Joe Mihalik. Joe, good evening. Uh, hi, Don. How's it going? Well, things are good. And, you know, uh, uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit later on in the interview, but July 15th, you were up uh, to the Pittsburgh area for the uh, Heidelberg Raceway Sports Arena dedication, and I think you were surprised by how many people wanted to see you. Well, you know I was surprised. But what a welcome I got. I, I never expected anything like that. And, uh, you know, I'm 85 years old now, and I think I'm going to remember that like it happened yesterday for the rest of my life because it was, it was so huge. I just didn't expect such a big welcome. 
Well, let's start at the beginning. You know, my first recollection of Joe Mihalik was in 1955. I attended my first race at uh, at the Monduke Speedway, and the announcer was all excited talking about this young driver to track Joe Mihalik. Uh, now, I know you did some racing prior to that, so let's start with your first interest in racing, how this happened, and where. Okay, I was first uh, interested in it when I went to watch uh, Buddy O'Connor race jalopies at, at large Pennsylvania and uh, I thought well that, that was something great I, I, I would like to do that so I, I, I built my first jalopy later on in uh, 1949 and went to one race in New Kensington that was at the end of the year so uh, uh, I only raced it I think once or twice and they did away with the jalopies, so I, I got started into a uh, the sportsman class in NASCAR sportsman class, which was a uh, 1938 uh, Ford Flathead Ford. For the younger fans, they're probably wondering what is a jalopy. So, uh, just a brief description of what a jalopy is. Well, jalopy wasn't much but a uh, a car stripped down to the bare frame engine and uh, a seat and a steering wheel, and that's about it. Uh, there was nothing else on it. Uh, it had a makeshift gas tank on it, like a five-gallon can, things like that. And hardly, hardly anything else on it. I remember talking to Buddy O'Connor once, and I said, what did you do about a seat belt? He said, well, we would take a truck inner tube and cut it in half and nail it to the wooden frame on each side. And I said, well, how did you get in? He said, well, one of your crew would lift up on the inner tube and let you slide under there, and you just had to hope he wasn't mad at you when he let go of it, because that could be a problem. <laughs> well, that was good. <laughs> that wasn't bad at all, but I used my belt. <laughs> yeah. My pants belt. <laughs> All right, let's pick it up then with the, the coupe and NASCAR and, and a little bit about how that came to be. Well, I used to, I used to go to Heidelberg and, and watch the races there in the, in the uh, sportsman class. That was, in, that was NASCAR racing. Dick Linder was running there, uh, Mike Claypack and uh, Mike Little. They were all top gun runners in NASCAR at that time and Ed Fiola and Jim Fiola and myself we we used to go there every Thursday night and watch the races and we did that for just about two years I believe before I finally uh, built my own and uh, I, uh, I, I came into Heidelberg with my Ford Flathead Ford one, uh, I think that was first part of pit fifty, somewhere in there, and uh, I ended up winning the race. And Dick Linder came in second, and uh, that made me feel good. I guess so. <laughs> really good because he he was top gunned, and he was such a good driver and smooth. Now. Uh, I was involved in NASCAR at that time, so I left and went to other tracks uh, locally that had NASCAR, that were sanctioned by NASCAR. Because in, uh, right after I won that race in Heidelberg, uh, they went to, 
the Pittsburgh Racing Association. And early on, for the fans that maybe aren't aware of the history of it, Ed Otto was promoting the NASCAR races, and that was about the time Ed Witzberger wanted to form the Pittsburgh Racing Association, and Otto told Witzberger it would be out of business in three weeks, and uh, ex- the exact opposite happened, and uh, when Ed developed the PRA, NASCAR went away. Exactly. You're exactly right, and that's just what, what happened. Uh, Ed was a good promoter. He paid well, paid much better than uh, NASCAR did. And uh, after I uh, ran out of NASCAR tracks to run, I came back. To, uh, and uh, I'll never forget that day. I came back with a 1937 Chevy, and uh, uh, Ed Witzberger met me at the gate and welcomed me back. He said, Joe, I'm glad you're here. This is where you belong. And I don't think either you or Ed had any idea what a legacy you would create in the PRA and Heidelberg Raceway. Exactly. Yeah, right. And, uh, uh, you know, that went on for I don't know how many years now. Uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, Don, how many years PRA was in existence, but quite a few. Well, I I think the part that maybe kind of weakened it a little bit in the coupes and that was when they switched to the super modifieds. Then they went to the late models and it kind of had a resurgence even though the late models you guys were driving were would be equivalent to the claimers or, or the pure stocks today, but as that developed, uh, it was uh, it just got better every year. And then when they went to the asphalt, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on, it was really premier racing. And I believe when Heidelberg closed in '73, uh, I think it was that that was pretty much the end of uh, PRA. Yeah. Now, yeah. Right. <clears throat> This Chevy Coupe you had, you put a number one on it. Now, uh, obviously, it wasn't because you thought you were number one. What was the reason for putting a one on the car? Well, to begin with, when when I built my 38 Ford, uh, I went to New Kensington with it uh, one time, and uh, I didn't have a number on it then, and... uh, they said, well, number one is available, and it was easy to put on. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Pick number one. <laughs> so it stayed number one. So then when we uh, come back with the 37 Chevy Coupe, it was number one also. Nine. And in, fact, in fact, I have a picture of it hanging here on my wall with the toy graph was a flagman then. Right. You remember him? I, I do. And he's handing me the checkered flag. Now, that's my first race there with the Chevy, and I won it. And he flagged from the track, which, when you think about it, would start the races down on the track. I mean, that would be unheard of today because that would be extremely dangerous. Well, it, yes. It started from the track and then run straight across yeah. and uh, stand up on the wall there, you know. Yeah. But uh, they changed that when... Uh, I think it was Red Hecker. Red Hecker got hit. I was there that yeah. night. Yeah. Yes, he got hit. I, I remember watching it, uh, and uh, that was terrible thing. And that was, I think, that was the last time they did that. They put a Ed Witzberger put a stand up on the wall, and that's where the flagman stood, and, and that set 
the pace for NASCAR even because they used to start it down in the infield like that too. Yeah. You know, in the 50s, you drove for several guys and occasionally had your own car, but probably, uh, you know, when, when Dick was killed, you ended up driving for the Pallone brothers. Boy, what a what a step that must have been. Yeah, well, see, now, uh, Dick, uh, I, I took over before Dick was killed. I drove the V2. Dick was campaigning to run IndyCar. You're right. Yeah. So he got, he got out of the car and uh, I got in it. So uh, that the very first year I was in it was when Dick got killed. So. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, and he had such a, uh, a wonderful opportunity. Uh, it was at uh, Trenton in 59. I was at South Park when they announced it, and uh, uh, that, w- that was a pretty sad day because he would have made it to Indy, and he would have been very successful. Oh, I'll say. Yeah, because we were camp. You know, we were driving for collections to help him get a car to run it in the Indy, and you had to buy your way in those days. Well, in fact, I think you still have yes. to now. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he was he was well on his way. It was just a tra- very tragic day. On uh, the local tracks where you ran, some of them, Arden Dines, Bedford, Blanket Hill, Butler, Canfield, Claridge, Clinton, Columbus, Debeau Park, Greater Pittsburgh, Hagerstown, Heidelberg, Jennerstown, Langhorne, Lernerville, Monduke, Morgantown, Motordrome, New Smyrna, well, that's not local, uh, Pittsburgh, Rose Speedway, Schmucker, Sharon, South Park, Spring Church, Trenton, Turnpike, Uniontown, Volusia County, and Williams Grove. Did you have a favorite track, and would it have been Heidelberg? <laughs> Definitely Heidelberg. Yeah, Heidelberg was was like uh, uh, like going to Daytona, you know. Yeah. In those days, Don't, Daytona was in existence then, but uh, of course they raced on the beach. But the Super Track wasn't in. But I would compare Heidelberg to Daytona 500. And it didn't matter, dirt or asphalt, the racing was outstanding. And, and, you know, some of the guys you had to contend with, I mean, when they start bringing the guys in from Ohio and Michigan and, you know, guys like Seneca and Joy Fair and, and you know, Bickerstaff and Forney and guys like that, it was like it kept raising the uh, bar for, for the local guys. But local guys always did fine. You, uh, Herb, uh, Gaslinder, Fiola, I mean, you always could uh, kind of uh, handle your own. Yeah, yeah, we did, and uh, it was it was a nice organization, and uh, I I really enjoyed the races when uh, Woodsburger had uh, the uh, the guys from out of state compete with the local guys, and he would run. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was like a ten lap race. It start ten cars, and the the, after uh, ten laps, I think it was, you draw, the last two would have to drop out, and then it'd start over with eight cars, and the last two would drop out after ten laps, and until the, it went down to the last two cars. Mm. So I, I, I really enjoyed that because I won, I won that race. Well, hey, hold that thought. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking more with Joe Mihalik from Daytona Beach. So please stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. 
This portion of Rapping on Racing was brought to you by the Jennerstown Speedway Complex, home of the Motor Mountain Masters. For information about upcoming events at Jennerstown Speedway, check out Jennerstown.org. A message for all racers, race fans, or campers. Alternative Power Sources Incorporated, located in western Pennsylvania since 1995, we have proudly served homeowners and businesses throughout portions of Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, offering a complete line of generators and the ability to provide turnkey projects. From sales and rentals to service, maintenance, and installation, Alternative Power Sources is dedicated to providing reliable generator solutions. Their brands include MTU, Kohler, Gillette, Yamaha, Powertech, and ASCO. The experienced sales force has over 40 years' experience in the generator field, providing the resources to design the generator package to meet your needs and specifications and supply the specified products. If service is important to you, they are your source. Alternative Power Sources. For more information, call 1-800-894-4455. No one covers motorsports like Rapid on Racing. For nearly 40 years, Rapid on Racing has provided the best in motorsports information with knowledgeable and veteran reporters who cover all forms of racing. Weekly reports include local dirt and asphalt racing from Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, plus the All-Star, Lucas Oil Late Models, NASCAR, Rush, and the World of Outlaws. Listeners get the latest breaking motorsports news. The show features special guests, local track reports, driver interviews. The host of Rapid on Racing is Don Gamble. A former driver and track promoter, Don brings a wealth of racing knowledge to the program every week. Rapid on Racing. And now back to Don Gamble and more Rapping on Racing. All right, fans, we're back. We're talking with Joe Mihalik, former Hall of Famer, currently living in Daytona Beach. Uh, a little bit more <clears throat> about the PRA. You know, a lot of success on the dirt, then on the asphalt, but probably best remembered uh, for the three-wheel victory at Heidelberg in the Tri-State Championship. Well... You know, you know, Don. When I tell that story, hardly anybody believes me, and I'm glad you were there and saw it. I saw <laughs> it. I believe it. <laughs> but, but what I, I was leading that race, it was the 150, and he, of course, he had a lot of out of state cars in that race also. But um, when that wheel came off. I thought it was just the wheel, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll make another lap and give my guys a chance to get a tire ready to throw on it. But found out that I had no brakes, so that meant the whole hub and drums and everything was gone. So in that one lap that I made, I learned to hold that left front end up. And the faster I went, the better and easier it got, and the faster the car would go because I got more traction with that left rear wheel. The the track got hard and slick, and everybody was uh, slipping and sliding around, and I was just going on my way like I was out for a Sunday drive. I was in awe, you know, and obviously there was enough wedge in the car that it didn't let the left front come down, but I kept thinking... How long can this last? And what will happen if there's a caution? And it went caution-free. 
Yeah, it was caution free, and a good thing because I would, I would have never got started again if it was, if it was a caution. But I, I used, I learned to drop the left front down by cutting the wheels to the right just a little bit when I had to slow up for a pass or something like that, or for another car. But uh, uh, it it left tracks all the way around that when the race was over. I looked at that track, and there was just these, it looked like someone went out there with a plow (laughs) and plowed up the whole track. And I understand when you shared your story with the Living Legends meeting in Daytona, that Richard Childress said, I can't follow that. I'm just going to go sit down. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, him and Jeff Bodine, and of course, there were a lot of of big guns were there, and... uh, of course, uh, I got a big kick out of that, and so did they. And uh, uh, I, I got a an award that that was in February for the living uh, legend, living legends, and uh, it was for the early years award. And after I got done telling my story, why uh, I got a standing ovation. I saw and the uh, video of that. That was impressive. So I, I really felt good about that. And then coming back to Pittsburgh and the welcome I got there with the Heidelberg gang, and why it was just—it's just been a good year for me. I don't think you realized how popular you were. But hey, I want to go back to the Pallone brothers. Now they sold the car to Patty Mazaris. He had the Circle Bar, and he also had a landfill at, in that area. Uh, and you kind of went with the car, and you drove it for quite a while. I guess uh, the uh, the one I most remember would look like about a '36 Chevy Coupe. Is that right? Yeah, it was a '37. '37. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, then uh, early in the 60s, you got an invitation to go to Jennerstown Speedway for one of their big races. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I was invited up there. There was a, their end-of-the-year race, and uh, I couldn't. It was the old track. Quarter mile. And I just couldn't get used to it. It felt like it had five turns in it to me, and it was my first time <laughs> ever there. So I started last in a heat race, and... Uh, ended up last and uh, had to run a semi and started last and ended up last again. I I, I told uh, Bobby Benz, I said, you know, I'm never going to get used to this this track. And started last in the feature. And I passed the leader on the last lap. And, of course, there was a lot of trouble over that because they wouldn't... I don't know if I should tell you who was leading the race. Sure. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> well, it was Blackie Watt. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, they didn't feel, they felt I didn't deserve to win it because I I wasn't there for the regular season. And they asked you not to come back. <laughs> they asked me not to come back. I said, well, just give me the money, you know. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care. So I, I, so they gave me the money and the trophy. Also, I did. I was going to leave that trophy for them, but they gave me everything. Now you, you had some pretty tough competition: uh, Herb Scott, Jimmy Bickerstaff, Bob Seneca, Ed Howe, Dick Linder, Gus Linder, Buddy O'Connor, Fiola. Uh, who was your favorite? Uh, 
Well, I have to say Dick Linder, because he was, he was just so smooth. You know, I watched him before I even got into it, and I never, I never saw anybody handle a car like he did. And, and uh, I, I tried, I tried when I got into it to sort of do the things he did, and uh, I didn't like to throw the car into the turns as hard as everyone else did when it was dirt, and. Uh, I more or less like to drive through the turns, and that's what Dick Thunder used to do. So, <clears throat> when, excuse me. <clears throat> so after um, they went to asphalt, I had an advantage because I wasn't throwing the car into the turn, and a lot of we lost a lot of uh, uh, drivers when it turned to asphalt because they once you throw the car into a turn and it goes into a slide you lost it yeah they couldn't make the adjustment yeah right so we had to change a change the style of driving and uh, i was sort of a little bit ahead of that and, and uh, uh i i like asphalt now and i i liked it better than to whenever well after the first time i went to, on asphalt i i left I have uh, an interesting Dick Linder story you may or may not be aware of, but Burl Miller drove the black and white number 85, and Burl would always start in the front and usually end up in the back, and Witzberger offered him $1,000 if he ever won a feature, and it was at South Park, and Burl started on the pole and took off like like a rocket and, and won the race and Witzberger ran down to Victory Lane saw it was Linder driving the car he said you're not getting the thousand dollars it was pretty obvious that it wasn't Burl driving it <clears throat> how about your car owners now the Pallone brothers Larry Jackson Frank Vasco Art Munch Lou Viglione Danny Carolegas the Bences uh, some pretty impressive people matter of fact many of them uh, in the Hall of Fame with the Pittsburgh Circle Track club um, who would well probably the Benses and the Viglione's would be the one that you spent the most time with uh, would that have been the long-term situation as far as the uh, car owners yeah that that would be the long-term situation yes but, uh, I, I, li I like the Palome brothers I sort of uh, I sort of put them in a category with uh, oh David Pearson and the Wood brothers you know when uh, when Linder drove for him, yeah, Linder and the Palones and uh, Pearson and the Wood Brothers. Well, one year uh, in the V two, they ran 150 races and won 52 times. So yeah. that's one out of every three races they won the race. Yeah, what right. a record! Hey, oh, uh, sure when Art yeah. Munch put together that golden white 57. Uh, number 57 Chevelle uh, how did that deal come together you ended up uh, you were driving that and I think originally it was a dirt car and then maybe it was converted to asphalt am I on the right page there yeah yes you are yeah yeah it was it was a dirt car and uh, uh, but you know art art lived oh about two miles away from me and he uh, he was driving his own car and he would always come from work. He'd stop at my repair shop, 
and would be us a while. And we got to be pretty good friends that way. So uh, time came whenever he wanted to get out of it, and he asked me if I would drive it for him. And that's how we got together. Now, he didn't have a lot of money behind him, so I guess it was a, a low-budget uh, team, and you still managed to win some races, but then when you hooked up with Lou Viglione in the 60, you pretty much got whatever you needed. That was, uh, you went to top-shelf car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lou, Lou did me well, and he, I, I really appreciate what Lou did for me. And, and when he brought me to uh, Daytona to run my first race, you know, after all uh uh, I ran the longest or the biggest track I ran was uh, uh, Langhorn, and that was a mile track. So, you know, I grew up on quarter mile and half mile tracks, and then uh, I ran Langhorn three, I think, about three times, and then came to Daytona with Lou, and two and a half mile track. You know, uh, that's quite a big change. So uh, I was I was a little nervous because I didn't know anybody down here and it was my first first time on a big track and it had had to be uh, Daytona. In fact, when I uh, fellows down here asked me where where did I come, which track was my first track was uh, when I came to Langhorn or uh, Daytona, uh, excuse me, NASCAR. Yeah. I tell them Daytona was the first one, and they they're sort of surprised because <laughs> that's not a very good track to come to <laughs> for the first time, you know. Because <laughs> of course, at that in that in those years, they also had driver tests, you know. But you wouldn't know when you were being tested. Uh, they had spotters up in the booth, and they'd watch the newcomers come down, and and then you would get the okay or no-go. So I was, when I was told, in fact, ben, Benny Parsons was the man that came down and told me I was in. So uh, I'll, I'll remember that. And he's, he uh, helped me a lot, too. We're going to take another break. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Joe Mihalik, and we'll be back with more after this. Since 1974, Environmental Air Incorporated has provided quality sheet metal and HVAC services in the greater Pittsburgh area. They're a commercial sheet metal contractor. Founded in 1974 by Glade Neal, Environmental Air is a family-owned union sheet metal company currently managed by Paul and Craig Neal. The people of Environmental Air are both a team and a family. They believe customer service is important. They value their employees and know that together they can have a meaningful impact on each project or service they provide. Residential service is not available due to the magnitude of their commercial work. 47 years of excellent customer service is the foundation of this successful company. Environmental Air is located at 1100 McCartney Street, Pittsburgh, PA 15220. For additional information, call 412-922-8988. Every day when they open the doors at Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, their goal is to provide great customer service by offering affordable automotive and truck repair service performed by highly trained technicians at the highest industry standard. 
By implementing the latest diagnostic equipment and computerized repair manuals, you can rest assured that your vehicle will be repaired to factory specifications for your specific car or truck. At Zarin Truck and Automotive, they believe in honest repairs and will demonstrate that fully by explaining the repair or service you are receiving and they'll give you an estimate or quote before work is performed. When you choose Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, you are choosing professional automotive repair and maintenance performed by expert automotive technicians. That's Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights. And now back to Don Gamble and more Rapping on Racing. All right, fans, welcome back. We're talking with Hall of Famer Joe Mihalik and covering some of the highlights of his career. But, Joe, they weren't all highlights. Uh, you know, uh, there was a time at Heidelberg when it was a pretty bad wreck and, and you broke your back. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about that. How did that happen? Yeah, there was a uh, it was a hundred and fifty lap race, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure now. It was it was a larger race. It was on the half mile, and uh, the fellow that lost the wheel, I think that was his fourth one in that race. He lost four four wheels. Uh, I don't mean one on each corner, but one at a time. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> And anyhow, it, when he lost this one, and I saw the wheel up near the, uh, I think it was the third or fourth turn, and I got up into the loose stuff to try to miss it. And uh, once I got into the loose dirt up there near the near the uh, guardrails, I couldn't get back out of it, and I hit it head on. So the car got airborne. The front end went up first, and the front end came down first, and then it rolled over on its side. But that impact of hitting nose down put a terrible jar on my back, and uh, I cracked uh, two vertebrae. Yeah, but if if I understand it correctly, you weren't even going to go to the hospital. You were lying in the back seat of the car on the way home, and your wife convinced you to stop. They took some x-rays and sent you home, and then the next day, you felt good. You're a little bit sore, but then the doctor said they misread, misread the x-rays, and you had a broken back. And I remember seeing you in a body cast for a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, I was in there for six weeks in a body cast, yeah, and... Uh they, my family doctor is the one that called me. They they called him from the hospital the next day and asked him to get in touch with me. So I happened to be, I was feeling better after a night's rest, and I was working on a truck that day, a customer's truck. And the doctor called me, and I said, well... I can't go in now. I'll go in later on. I have to finish this truck, you know. So, so I did. I went in, and uh, they said uh, I'll have to be put in the hospital right away and put into traction and so forth. I said, well, I I can't. I've got things to finish up at the shop. I'll come back tomorrow, and wow. that's what I did. I came back the next day. Jeez, <laughs> tough customer here. <laughs> <laughs> So they, I laid in traction for 
several days, and then they put me in a body cast. And, uh, the body cast was horrible. One of your uh, regrets at Heidelberg was the uh, confrontation with Norm Benning Sr. when he deliberately put you into the wall at Heidelberg. Uh, what uh, what happened after that? Well, I, I, I was sort of perturbed because I, I was trying to pass him. And I tried the inside, tried the inside. I knew I could get around him once I got the chance. So I thought, well, okay, I'm going to try the outside. And I went to the outside, and going into the turn, he took me up high and put me into the wall backwards. Well, gasoline, it ruptured the gas tank, and it poured all over the track. And Well, you know what fires is like. I, uh, that entered my mind. I, I don't want any kind of a fire here now because I got to get away from the car and uh, when he came around on the pace lap I threw my helmet at the car and he claimed I hit him but I, I didn't hit him I hit the car and so he stopped and uh, he, I run over to him and he says I was I did want to punch him but uh, he says wait till I get out of the car and I said well here I'll help you out he he got one leg out and I pulled on him and as he was getting out he hit his elbow on the roll bar and broke his elbow so that was my fault you know I I, I regretted I regret doing that but all I could think of was a big fire and that could have ended everything for me. But, you know, any driver, any competitive driver would have done the same thing. I know I've done things uh, not quite uh, that severe but uh, that I regretted. But at the heat of the moment, that's that's what makes you a competitor. Now, yeah. Witzberger suspended you, and, and you felt that he he had to do that. He did the right thing. Yeah, yeah, he did the right thing, you know. But the uh, uh, dri drivers wanted uh, something done with with uh, Benning also, and uh, Woodsburger said, well, he's got a broken elbow. He'll be out of the car anyhow, so. But uh, they weren't happy with it, and uh, they they backed me all the way, and I, I'm so thankful that they did, and uh, I didn't realize that they would back me like that. But uh, we, uh, I, I met, Norm Benning down here at uh, Speedway at uh, Daytona. I was up there for testing one time, and uh, he was there. And well, we joked around and laughed, you know, about it. Things time. like that. You can patch up afterwards. Time, time heals, yeah. Yeah. Now, after Heidelberg closed, and you touched on that, you started to do the Winston Cup racing with Lou Viglione, and that would have been in 74 for the Daytona 500. Uh, you know, you said it was just like starting all over again. Uh, and when you think about when you went down there, uh, you didn't have a tractor trailer with a staff of 35 or 40 people and testing and wind tunnels. It was a bunch of guys that built a car, and I, I think you housed it in a little garage. Uh, down there were 48 and uh, 193R down there in Wall, PA. Is that where the car was housed? Uh, let's 
see. That was, I think that was the late model down there. Yeah. I'm not sure now. Well, then let's pick it, it up. It could have been both of them. It okay. could have been both of them. You've been to Daytona, and Benny Parsons said, okay, you, you passed the test here, and you're ready to go racing. Uh, one of the, uh, let's talk a little bit about the racing and some of your thoughts there, and then I want to touch on one of your sponsors after we get done talking about the race. Okay, I, I uh, I lined up. It had I had to run to 125, and uh, of course my time qualifying wasn't fast enough to stand on my time to get in. So I had to get in through the 125s. In fact, every race that I ran here at Daytona, I had to get in through the 125s. But uh, I sat in that car for a half hour in line. And my heart was just pounding because I didn't know the drivers that well. I didn't know their style. I I didn't know anything about the track. I didn't get enough practice time. So uh, it, that was the, really the hardest part of it right there was just sitting in that car thinking about it, you know. But once the race started, and, you know, it, it's like I always said, uh, when that green flag goes down, you turn into a maniac. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you forget about everything else. So, and uh, we we were running pretty good, and we made made the uh, five hundred. So uh, now, now in '76, you you had your own car, and you know when you think about the big money and some of the guys you were running up against, uh, you represented Western Pennsylvania very well. But the, the money just wasn't available. But one of your sponsors was the Lamplighter in Murraysville. And I remember getting into an argument with Myron Cope. He had his own TV show, or I'm sorry, he had his own radio show. And he made some sort of a remark about racing really not being a sport. So I called him up, and I was hot. I said, Myron, let me ask you something. The Lamplighter sponsors your show. They also sp sponsor Joe Mihalik's race car, and it's called Pittsburgh Someplace Special. Now, are you telling me that your sponsor's not smart enough to be in a sport where it's actually a viable way to advertise? Well, it's one of the few times Myron Cope didn't know what to say. He was stunned, and I always remember that. And many years later, I saw him at Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, and I asked about it, and he said, I don't like callers like you when you call up, and I can't, I can't respond. But it put him in his place, and he, well, he acknowledged that, the, that the, it was okay. Yeah, well, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you put him in his place because no one else ever never could. Oh, he, it was amazing. You know Myron. He was yeah. like that. He, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that some of the drivers uh, that you admired, obviously Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, you know, and uh, he just, he was pretty special. And you talked about uh, local, race, lo local racing where you were in favor of starting the fast cars in the back because it made for better racing. And, and, and in, in the PRA, you and Herb and those guys always started in the back. But that's not the case today. And when they start... The fast guys in the front, it's like a snoozer. Yeah, you know, you know that's that's a big rub with me because uh, I I mentioned this to 
I don't know how many promoters, they they look up in the stands and they wonder why they don't have uh, a, a full stand. Well, you know, the race is over before it starts. Exactly. You know who's going to win. You start the fast cars up front. That's not not a, not the way to do it. You got to you got to give them a handicap. And I always was for that to start the faster cars in the back. And if you win the week before, why? If you win this this week, you start in the back the completely last of next week and uh, that's the way it should be now i just they just don't see it that way i don't know why why not well what some of the tracks you're doing and it's it's not the exact same scenario but if you win you start if you qualify the following week you start 12th which is it's a little better than starting up front and then they'll have choices because when i did the on-track announcing at uh at pennsylvania motor speedway we would have four choices invert uh a, a straight up start invert six invert 12 or invert the whole field so you never knew so if somebody was sandbagging you never knew how it was going to be and the fans like that but i i like the idea better of having a fast car starting in the back yeah yeah i, I like the i like it better that way sure Okay, Joe and I are going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to pick up with some more, a little bit about Daytona and Joe's career down there. So please stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. Area Auto Racing News is a great way to keep up to date on what is happening in motorsports. Some of their excellent riders include Ernie Saxton, Joanne Davies, Walt Weimer, and Dave Dragovich, just to name a few. Subscribe now to Area Auto Racing News at AARN.com. 50 issues at just $60 or digital only for $39 a year. For more information, call 609-888-3618 or go online to AARN.com. Stay informed with Area Auto Racing News. This portion of tonight's program is brought to you by Environmental Air Incorporated. Number One Cochrane has created a new way, a faster way, an easier way to buy a car. Now you can complete as much of the process as you'd like online and spend less time in store. Or do it all online and get home delivery. Expressway is way easy to use. Just shop our nearly 20 new car brands and thousands of pre-owned vehicles to find the model that's perfect for you. We're big on transparency, so you get our best possible price up front. We call it our clear-cut price, and it's independently validated by Kelly Blue Book right on your screen. Our experts are standing by to help you throughout the entire buying process. You can also stop at any time, save where you are, and come to the showroom to pick up where you left off. Don't love your new vehicle? Don't worry, we'll take it back, no questions asked. Best of all, Expressway is open 24-7. That means you can buy your way with Expressway right away. Number one, Cochrane. See it all at Cochrane.com. Located in beautiful Somerset County in western Pennsylvania's picturesque Laurel Highlands, the Jennerstown Speedway Complex hosts exciting Saturday night racing from May to September. 
Come see daring drivers competed late models, modifieds, pro stocks, street stocks, chargers, and the fast and furious fours. Special events include the Motor Mountain Masters, NASCAR Whalen Modifieds, ISMA sanctioned Super Modifieds, the Super Cup Stock Car Series, and Enduro races. The Jennerstown Speedway Complex takes great pride in providing fun, affordable family entertainment. The 6 p.m. start time allows the younger fans the opportunity to enjoy the entire show, including at the completion of each weekly event. Everyone in attendance is invited into the pits to meet the drivers and see the cars up close. Spend your Saturday nights in Somerset County at the Jennerstown Speedway Complex. Fans, we're back. Today's special guest is Joe Mihalik. Joe's uh, currently residing in Daytona Beach, Florida, and we're talking a little bit about his career. And Joe, you, you had said that you know if you you could do it all over again, you would have moved to Florida earlier in your career. That you had a chance but had to back out. Let's talk about that. Yes, uh, all back, I think in my third year of racing up north, why? I had a chance to get down here, and uh, of course, when you know what happens when you when get a girlfriend or something, like you sort of <laughs> change things. Yeah. And uh, I didn't go, and uh, I I could have I think I could have done so much better if I'd have left up there. Of course, I wouldn't have made as much money at first. Um. Uh, until you get your get a name, right? Well, so, uh, I'd have to, I'd have to be working on my own, and uh, still it, it would have been hard. But you, you just you're running local like I did all the time. Why uh, you, you don't get the national attention? Well, you know, over the years, I talked to you, Buddy O'Connor, Herb Scott, Lou Blaney, uh, people that had that opportunity, but be it their job, but their family, their 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 kids, uh, it just wasn't an opportunity that they could take to do that. And uh, when I think about the talent in Western Pennsylvania, any one of those names I mentioned could have made it in NASCAR or Indy. But it, it just wasn't to be. Now, uh, both your, your boys, Troy and Trent, they live in Florida. And uh, it's kind of nice that they're all down there with your wife. Uh, you know, uh, it was, but it was pretty tough when you were raising your boys. Uh, your first marriage broke up and you had to raise them by yourself. And uh, I know one of the quotes you tell me, you had the, the repair shop in Murraysville. And I drive past it every day. And every day I drive past it, I think about uh, your career and how much I enjoyed watching your race. But you might have to go upstairs and make dinner for the boys and then come down and tune up a, a customer's car. That had to be really tough. <laughs> yeah, but and it was it was a lot of fun too, you know. I I remember the time whenever I uh uh I put an engine in the race car. In fact it was in uh, the Grand National car that I run at NASCAR and we got we got it from uh, Waddell Wilson and I put it in and when you, you know when you first start up an engine, you sort of load it up with fuel, and when it first fires up, it makes a big racket. Yeah. And I had the doors open on the garage and the front end sticking out, and I fired it up, 
and there was, it roared so loud that all the tools and stuff come falling off the walls, <laughs> and the bar across the street, you know, Bob's in. Yes. About half a dozen guys come running out <laughs> looking for the air crash. You know, they thought a plane came down. Yeah. <laughs> that was really funny when I saw them all pile out of there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, prior uh, prior to you moving down there, uh, Troy uh, was going to do some racing, and he was hurt at uh, Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway. And I recall that night, I believe they had to life flight him out of there. Yeah, they did. And, you know, he... Uh, he did want to race, and uh, he would have continued on had that not had not have happened. But uh, you know, the, the, with his injury, and he was smart enough to realize it too that it, the risk was too high right. to go ahead and take because uh, he's got to live with it like that now because he has to watch himself because uh, his neck was broken in three places and. And it was one of the places that everything was disintegrated, and he was so lucky that he's still with us. Right. So you moved down there in 86, and you and Pat live about a mile from Daytona International Speedway. Uh, you can hear the cars, uh, but uh, you don't attend too many of the races. Uh, are you cured, or are you just... No, I I, uh, I just don't like the hustle and bustle, you know, getting in and out. And and uh, I go up, I can get in, I get in the garage area for testing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can just mingle with, with the fellas in there a little bit. And then I leave when I want to leave and come back the next day and so forth. And I get enough of it then. But I, I wish I was still involved in it. If I was involved, I would put up with it, you know, but right. uh, I'm not. <laughs> it, it's hard to get away from it once you're in it. It's like a disease. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, I, I, I like other sports, you know, I like football and all that, but still, uh, this is in my blood. You know, uh, during your career, a lot of people, uh, they thought you were stuck up or aloof, but actually, I guess you're just kind of shy. And uh, Well, you know. yeah, you know, Don, I, I was such a shy person. See, I was, I was raised on a 96-acre farm. A farmhouse was in the center. I had no friends. I, have two, I had two sisters, but I had no friends to, get, to hang out with. It was too far to to go and and walk somewhere to to see your friends, and uh, so I sort of grew grew up as a loner. And in fact, uh, I was like that in my racing career. Uh, I I am still like that. I if I see a couple of fellows that I know, they're talking each other uh, I won't go over and interrupt I, I'm afraid I might be interrupting something and uh, I don't want to bother him you know but and uh, that went on even when I w- went to the service I uh, I joined the Air Force and in this is uh, 1944 and I, I went to Guam and Saipan and uh, when I got over there I, I, uh, on Guam I got to be have more. I got to have more friends, 
and uh, uh, but then they sent me to Saipan and put me on top of Mount Tapachar. And that mountain, from that mountain, I could oversee the whole island and uh, uh, of Saipan and uh, Tinian, where all the B-29s were, where they took off from to drop the big bombs, you know. And, and I was by myself again. So I was, it was, I was there with two dogs on top of the mountain. And I, I ran a radio communications center between the islands, from one island to another. And uh, uh, I wouldn't see anybody. Well, my, I had a lieutenant that was in charge of me. He'd come up maybe once or twice a week to check on me, and, and that's about it. Uh, so I, I, I was alone again. So it was hard to get away from that, and I was a very shy person. So... Uh, I did the same thing when I came back and I raced them. I, I didn't mingle with too many fellas because I was I didn't want to bother anyone. Well, some of the fellas that you raced with, uh, in 1986 you were inducted into the Pittsburgh Circle Track Hall of Fame, and some of the other inductees uh, that you were involved with in racing, Herb Scott, Buddy O'Connor, Ed Witzberger, Dick Linder, Billy Webster, Woody Brocker, Don Luffy, Tommy Colella, Dick Bailey, Glade Neal, Lee Stover, Bob James, Dave Lundy, Norm Benning, Don Dale, Gus Linder, Jimmy Bickerstaff, Ed Fiola, Art Munch, Tommy Gale, Joe Viglione, Donnie Dybert, Johnny Orban, Bob Unks, Joe Barandi, Raleigh Smith, Frank Perpetua, Vic George, and Augie Sandman. That gives you an idea of the talent that we had in Western Pennsylvania. And over the last 29 years, some of your former competitors and car owners were also inducted into the Hall of Fame. And the year the year you went in, uh, that was the fourth year that they had it. Uh, Don Martin was also inducted that year, as well as Nick Guerin. Uh, something to be very proud of. And, and I know that as a board member with the Circle Track Club, uh, we were proud of the fact that you were in in a very short period of time in the 29 years that we had it. Well, you know, and I was very proud to get in there. And I, I wish I could have come up there. I was tied up down here at that time. And uh, I think uh, my uh, Pat and their sister, I think, represented me, and uh, I wish I could have been there. But uh, I, I, I miss, I miss the area. I, I miss the people now because I real, I realized that I really had a lot of friends. And had I not been as shy as I was, I probably would have had more. More. Hold that thought. Uh, Joe and I are going to take a break, and we're going to talk about just how many friends you had at the recent dedication for the Heidelberg Marker. Uh, Joe and I will be back after these messages. This portion of tonight's program was brought to you by Environmental Air Incorporated. 
Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway returns for its 43rd racing season in 2022 with a jam-packed weekly racing schedule. It all kicks off on Saturday, April 23rd, featuring our five weekly racing divisions, the Rush Late Models, the Penn Ohio Pro Stocks, the Hobby Stocks, the Open Four Cylinders, and the Young Guns. Throughout the season, PPMS will host several can't-miss special events, including the 34th Annual Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series Pittsburgher 100, as well as three Rush Late Model Touring Series events, the Herb Scott Memorial, the Joke George Steel City Classic, and the two-night Bill Hendren Memorial. Other special events include the Falcone Automotive 410 Outlaw Sprint Series, the Boss Wingless Sprint Car Series, the Penn Ohio Pro Stock Series Ed Laboo Memorial, the Red Miley Rumble, the Thunder on the Dirt Vintage Modifieds, the Hobby Stock Invitational, and more. For our full schedule and all track information, check out ppms.com and be sure to stay up to date by following us on Facebook by searching Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway and on Twitter at PA Motor Speedway. Are you in need of financial planning or portfolio review? Rick Sabo of RPS Financial Solutions is an independent financial planner who has testified as an expert witness on insurance and investment fraud. He helps people who are concerned about their portfolio or with other financial matters. His services include investments, pension, and 401k rollovers, estate planning, life insurance, and long-term care alternatives. As a registered IRS tax preparer, he can assist retirees with the completion of property tax rebate forms and other government tax reduction programs at no charge. Mr. Sabo does not charge a fee to meet with potential clients for a fact find. His office is located at 5061 Route 8, Gibsonia, PA. If you are in need of any of the services that he provides, give him a call at 724-443-5720. That's 724-443-5720. Or email him at rick.sabo at jwcemail.com. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, member of FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated, neither J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated or J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, nor its representatives provide legal, tax preparation, or accounting advice. Persons who provide such advice do so in a capacity other than as a registered representative of J.W.C.A. J.W.C. RPS Financial Solutions and JWC-JWCA are unaffiliated entities. All right, fans, we're back. I'm talking to Hall of Famer Joe Mihalik from Daytona Beach, Florida. And, Joe, I want to talk about July 15th. They dedicated a historical marker for the former Heidelberg Raceway, and I thought it was interesting. I got an email from your wife saying that you were coming up for this. And when I talked to her on the phone, I said, how did he find out? And she said, well, you sent him an invitation. And then I remembered that you're on our, our email list for, for the nostalgia and for the old timers. And I was tickled when, when you said you were coming up, had an opportunity to meet you. You were staying with a relative in Delmont, real close to where I live. And we got talking and you had a small stack of photographs and you said, well, I'm going to take these in case somebody wants an autograph. Well, when you got there, it was like the Beatles or Elvis. I mean, people swarmed all around. Everybody wanted to talk. They wanted pictures. They wanted autographs. And actually, at one point in the, in the presentation, it was holding up the show because they couldn't get you from where you were standing over to the presentation. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was quite an affair. I, I, I never got such a welcome in my life. And, and 
surprised to no end. I loved it, and uh, I didn't know that they were waiting for me at the uh, dedication yeah. until someone came over after me. Yeah. Because I had so many people that were just, you know, it took me like an hour to go a short distance <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> because of so many people there. And then when I finally uh, sat down to give some more autographs there at YF, uh, I was so glad that I brought some pictures with me that I could pass out, and everybody really enjoyed it. And, and, and Don, uh, uh, I, I have to thank you for everything you've done for racing. In many years, you've been connected with it, and you really promoted a lot of goodwill towards racing because when it's, this first started, you know, you go way back there, it was really nothing compared to what, what it is now. I, I knew that someday it would be big, but never this big. And it's people like you that help make it like it is. Well, it's it's a labor of love. I, I, I enjoyed the races. I've been involved in it for over 50 years. Spent some time driving. Uh, worked at many of the speedways, the announcing. But my, my real true love is, is the history of uh, Western Pennsylvania auto racing. And as I was at a meeting today with Jim Artsberger from Viewpoint Productions. And he gave me a lot of the footage. They shot two hours of film footage uh, at the dedication. And Jim's going to put this all together in in the final presentation to make it available to show it at the uh, the old timers night that we have in November. And I always send you pictures of that. You know that started out. Um, 10, 12 years ago, old-timers night be 40 or 50 people, and I think we're up around 400 now, and we have pictures and videos and movies, and it's just such a great time for guys to get together that maybe haven't seen each other. Well, it's sort of like the dedication on the 15th, guys that hadn't seen each other since 1973. And, yeah. you know, you came from Florida, Fireball Sarasnik came in from Arizona. I mean, there were people there from all over, and people change over the years. I thought it was kind of funny that Johnny Orban was there, and one of yeah. his car owners, Mike Kempel, was there, and they weren't standing 20 feet apart, and neither one of them recognized the other one because they changed a lot in the last 40 years. So oh, yeah. I, I introduced them to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was hard, really was, you know, uh, Dennis O'Connor looked me right in the face, and I knew I knew him, but I couldn't, I couldn't remember who it was. Well, 40 <laughs> years is a long time. Yeah, yeah, it is, and, and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, the, these old timers, uh, really what started this thing going, and, uh, you know, I, I get... I get letters constantly, still yet, from people that were involved that are involved in racing now. They want, and and in their letters they all say the same thing. They appreciate the people that started it all, and uh, and uh, they enjoyed what we did. We would not have the quality of local racing we have today if it wasn't for the group you were with in the late 40s and 50s that built this sport. 
I mean, when Witzberger started the PRA, I mean, look at the success that, that grew from that and all the talented drivers, the names I was reading from, from the Hall of Fame. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing what has happened. You, Dick Bailey, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. The people that, uh, that helped make this happen. Yeah. You know, when, <clears throat> when you were, and, and even after the ceremony, ceremony was over, and we had a little bit of rain, but nobody left, you were seated no, under that uh, tent that they had, and it was like people didn't want to go home. They were surrounding you. Everybody wanted to make sure they got that autograph or that picture, myself included. I want to get that picture. And what a, what a wonderful way to show their admiration for Joe Mihalik and what he accomplished locally and in NASCAR. Yeah, and if anybody else would want anything, they they could get in touch with me, and uh, I'll be glad to send them anything I, that I have. And uh, you know, back in those days, we uh, uh, we didn't make much money, and there were tracks we went to that uh, that have a meeting before the race even started, and explain, well, there's nobody here, you know, there's no money to pay you guys, and how about just going out there and put on the show? And, uh, and you everybody did. would agree to it to go out there and race for nothing, just put on a show. Except for me, I I won every one of those races because uh, I I'm, I go out and I I ran, <laughs> I won it. I'm going to win it. For, it doesn't matter if I get paid or not. I'm going to win it. I guess and that's the way I felt. I guess with your family farm, you were kind of destined uh, to uh, be involved because the Clare Ridge Speedway was adjacent to the farm, wasn't it? Yes, right next door. <coughs> yeah, all I had to do was cross the road after I would drive through a plowed field. You know, <laughs> and who I I plowed it to begin with. So <laughs> and it, you were telling me about your first car. I guess you had a spare tire, a jack, and a lug wrench. And that was yeah, pretty much yeah, the equipment. Yeah, wrench. Yeah, wrench, a jack, and and then a spare belt to uh, to close the door. You know, yeah. tied door shut. I think one of the best photo moments at the uh, dedication was when the Bences and the Viglione's and you were talking. And what a special time that was. You know, Joe Viglione and Lou came over yeah. and Bobby and his son were there and just uh, yeah, very special time. Yeah, that was it. I, uh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't even think about how I could express myself now how i felt because it just made me feel so good that so many people were there to to see this thing happening you made it very special and uh you know we were talking my wife and i are going to be down for speed weeks and i'm going to find you and we're going to have to have lunch or something and just you can show me uh, where you've been spending all your time and uh, be just kind of a perfect way to to wrap up this little thing with uh, Joe Mihalik and nostalgia and his career. Well, you're welcome, and I, I sure hope uh, hope you come and see me. Oh, I'm definitely going to come and see Anybody you. else could, uh, interested could stop and see me also. All right, fans, we're talking to Hall of Famer Joe Mihalik. We hope you enjoyed this interview, and uh, if you need any more information on Joe, uh, I can forward it to you. You just contact me at Wrapping on Racing, and we'll see that he gets it. Joe, thank you very much for taking the time to do this with us. Thank you, Don, and thank you to all the fans.
This portion of today's program is brought to you by Alternative Power Sources. Every day when they open the doors at Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, their goal is to provide great customer service by offering affordable automotive and truck repair service performed by highly trained technicians at the highest industry standard. By implementing the latest diagnostic equipment and computerized repair manuals, you can rest assured that your vehicle will be repaired to factory specifications for your specific car or truck. At Zarin Truck and Automotive, they believe in honest repairs and will demonstrate that fully by explaining the repair or service you are receiving and they'll give you an estimate or quote before work is performed. When you choose Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights, Pennsylvania, you are choosing professional automotive repair and maintenance performed by expert automotive technicians. That's Zarin Truck and Automotive in South Heights. Since 1974, Environmental Air Incorporated has provided quality sheet metal and HVAC services in the greater Pittsburgh area. They're a commercial sheet metal contractor. Founded in 1974 by Glade Neal, Environmental Air is a family-owned union sheet metal company currently managed by Paul and Craig Neal. The people of Environmental Air are both a team and a family. They believe customer service is important. They value their employees and know that together they can have a meaningful impact on each project or service they provide. Residential service is not available due to the magnitude of their commercial work. 47 years of excellent customer service is the foundation of this successful company. Environmental Air is located at 1100 McCartney Street, Pittsburgh, PA, 15220. For additional information, call 412-922-8988. And now back to Don Gamble and more Rapping on Racing. Joining us now is area auto racing columnist Dave Dragovich. You've heard a lot of uh, Joe's comments about his career, but a little different take is some of Dave's thoughts on the opportunities that he had to visit with Joe over the years. Want to welcome you to Wrapping on Racing, and I'd like you to tell the listeners your story. All right, thanks for having me, Don. Uh, yeah, uh, Joe Hadick was a, uh, a legend in uh, Pittsburgh racing. He passed away sadly on uh, February twenty third, and he was ninety five years old. But this was totally unexpected. And uh, Joe has been residing in Daytona Beach, Florida, uh, about twenty minutes from where we live, uh, with his uh, wife Pat. They've been down there to, uh, since, uh, like, the mid-1980s. And he began racing way back in 1950 at a place called Large Speedway. It was uh, off of Route 51, located in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. And uh, he became a star in the uh, in PRA, the Pittsburgh Racing Association. And uh, uh, he competed at tracks such as Heidelberg, South Park Speedway, Monduke, Claridge, Clinton, Motodrome, other facilities in that area. And, yeah, sometimes, as you know, Don, uh, drivers had the opportunity to race maybe seven days a week during that time. I was uh, a garage rat at Vilsack's when Gus Linder was driving for him, and I remember one time where we, we raced seven days a week and twice on Sunday. These, these drivers could earn a living doing this, and uh, it was very, very good. I mean, a feature in the 50s, mid-50s, paid 500 to win. So 
if you pick, picked up a couple of wins during the, the week, that'd be more than some people are making today. Boy, that was uh, special times. I didn't know they paid that much. 500 to win, yes. Wow. Hey, uh... one, of the, one of the interesting stories I like was Joe's trip to Jennerstown. Let's share that with the listeners. Yeah, yeah I was a kid, uh, and my uh, uh, Uncle John and my dad, Uncle John Kardash, my dad uh, took me to Jennerstown. I, I remember this uh, one particular race at Jennerstown, probably late 50s, early 60s. Uh, and, and Joe was telling me about this. And he, he placed, he was there at Jennerstown one time, and uh, he placed last in his heat that day. And Joe was a pretty quick uh, learner. Uh, uh, he figured out how to get around the track. And in the feature, he started last. He passed all of his competitors and won the race. And Joe said afterwards, figure out why, the track officials told him not to come back. And uh, I'm pretty sure I attended that race uh, as a kid. He had an interesting uh, discussion with Blackie Watt. Uh, yeah, that was that was later on. That was in the, uh, at Motodrome in the 1970s. Uh, I guess uh, Blackie was uh, beating on Joe pretty good in uh, it was a, I think it was in a heat race, and Joe Joe was uh, got a little mad, and uh, and I, I was standing there by the car and uh, Blackie's car. And I said, "Uh oh, there comes Joe," and uh, went <laughs> went to Blackie's hood, and he said, "What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do to get you off my butt?" And he said, "And he said, here's a hundred. He threw a hundred dollar bill on the hood. Here's a hundred. Here's two hundred. Three hundred, and it was it was winning. I said, Joe, hey, your money's going to blow away, but he kept going. Four hundred, I think he threw six hundred dollars on the hood of Blackie's car, you know, just to make a point. Please stay off my ass, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll never forget forget that day. Blackie just stood there and nodded his head and, uh, and say a word. But, uh, Joe was blowing off some steam that day, trying to make a point. I was, uh, I don't think you were there, but I had the, the uh, opportunity to be at maybe one of Joe's most memorable races, and uh, I'd like you to share what he told you when you, you, you and Joe had a lot of discussions. Uh. Yes, yeah, well, uh, he told me about uh, this race uh, in 1963, that uh, he won on three wheels. And I think you were there, Don. I was. I couldn't believe it. Around lap, I think it was lap 85, somewhere almost to lap 90, the uh, left front spindle, tire, wheel, brake drum, everything fell off the car. And Joe thought, well, I'll run a couple laps and see what happens. Well, there was enough wedge in the car that it didn't matter. He didn't need that. And he won the race. I mean, there was no cautions. And it, it was just... I, it was incredible to see him run the remaining 50 or 60 laps on three wheels. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he said he had momentum. He said he, uh, he couldn't, like, hit the brakes or anything. And uh, he just you know, kept on a gas pedal because it would just, you know, the left front would just go up. And he just ran on three wheels. He said if there was a caution, uh, probably would be a different story. But uh, right. he said just kept the momentum up and, uh, and won the race. But... Uh, I guess that was one of the best races you ever saw. Just uh, it, so unique. It was. You know, Joe, and Joe was just as good on dirt as he was on asphalt. He's a pretty tough guy. Uh, share your yeah. story about uh, the time he, he got hurt pretty bad. 
Yeah, I was at uh, Heidelberg. He was involved in a bad wreck. And then after the races, uh, I guess he's hurting pretty bad. And uh, his wife was driving his passenger car heading home. And uh, they decided to stop the hospital to get him checked out. I think it was Wilkinsburg, he was telling me. And uh, they were in some tests, and did some x-rays, and the doctors released him. And then that night and a couple of days after, uh, he just resumed his normal routine, working at the garage and whatever he had to do. And three or four days later, the hospital called and informed Joe that uh, he received a broken back in the racing accident. And uh, I think he was in a... in a brace for a long time, but isn't that something? You're know, walking around with a uh, a broken back. Well, then once they figured it out, he was in a full body cast from like f- from his neck down to uh, uh, yeah. back uh, past his belt line. And uh, I remember seeing him at Heidelberg when he had that on. It was just he that was something else. You know, he drove for several car owners, had a lot of success. Probably yeah. the most not- notable owner was Lou Viglione, and they did a lot of things uh, in racing together. And there was a time when Joe actually thought about racing on the national circuit. Yeah, he, he uh, always wanted to get into NASCAR racing. Uh, he, uh, he, he raced from uh, 1974 to uh, 1978. Uh, the Heidelberg closed in, uh, forever in 1973. That was the deal. Uh, Joe's two sons were getting older, and uh, those combined factors provided the opportunity for Joe to realize his dream of uh, racing in NASCAR. And at, time, at the time, he was like 47 years old. And uh, he figured now was the time he was going to do it. And uh, so he and Vic Leone continued as a team uh, in a new venue in NASCAR. And... Um, they ran a car, I, I, re, I remember this, uh, actually he was sitting on Route 51 at Curcio Sunoco in Periopolis for a time, and uh, there was a, uh, a sign that was displayed on the side of the car, it was uh, Pittsburgh, someplace special. I remember and, that, yes. Very, very nice car, yeah. And uh, the guys made their NASCAR debut on uh, February uh, 17th, 1974. At Daytona International Speedway for the 500 and a brand new 1974 Chevy uh, with the uh, Pittsburgh someplace special displayed on the car. But unfortunately, uh, Joe was involved in an accident early in the event and wasn't able to continue. But those uh, guys ran on a shoestring budget and they, they had uh, ob- obligations at home. And uh, Joe was underfunded and uh, his, his team were, were uh, never able to put a full season together. Plus, they were competing against many factory-sponsored teams where uh, money was no object. And Joe uh, always told me, he says, uh, he, he wished to have moved on here uh, uh, earlier so he could run for a, a, a factory team. And uh, just, it just never happened. Well, when he finished up with NASCAR, what was next? Well, he continued to race competitively, uh, 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 like you know, especially uh, Motordrome and uh, uh, Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, and he picked up a lot of a lot of uh, victories. It was all, all on dirt, and mostly in West Pennsylvania. And he was always a fan favorite and uh, always legendary. And uh, you remember the uh, Stony Two Hundred uh, that Butch Overly created at Motordrome in the yes. in the seventies, Don. I do. Yes. Yeah, and uh, they, they had uh, good dirt track drivers that came from all over the country. 
the best, best of the best. Well, I had to work shifts for U.S. Steel in the computer center, and uh, uh, the Stony Two Hundred was being held. It was a two-day show, so I worked a Saturday, and it was a qualifying day. And that morning, I I, I begged my boss all morning. I said, "Please, can I go to? Would you, let me leave early so I could go to Motor Drum." He finally relented, and I stormed down Route Fifty One. Uh, it was going 100 miles an hour, it seemed. And I got there just in time for time trials. And uh, Joe was the first guy uh, on the track. It was dusty. It was windy. Uh, and just dust blowing all over the place. But uh, So he was Joe was first on the track. And uh, he just rocketed through the turns. And uh, you know, multiple drivers all over the country were there. And amazingly, that day, Joe had set fast time. Matter of fact... It was a track record, Don, and I'll never forget that day. But uh, slowly, uh, Joe cut back on his racing, uh, sold his business, and uh, he and Pat retired and moved to Florida. That was about in the, in the mid-1980s. Uh, you know, I got a call from Joe in July of 2012, and he said he was coming to Pittsburgh Uh The uh, borough of Heidelberg was going to have a dedication ceremony placing a historical road marker on the property where the track used to be. And several hundred people attended the ceremony, including a lot of retired drivers, and Joe was one of them. And I said to him, uh, how did you find out about this? Well, apparently he was on my email list, and I sent out a, a blast uh, to everybody I thought might want to come, and he was there. And what I thought was funny, uh, he was coming up to stay with relatives in Delmont, and that's where I was living at the time. And he said, can we meet for breakfast at King's? And, you know, you can fill me in on what's going on. And uh, he had about 25 pictures with an autograph on them, and he said, I don't know if anybody's going to really care about these, but I'm going to take them. Well, several hundred people came to the ceremony, and he he said he felt like Elvis. I mean, the people were all swarming around him. They wanted pictures, and those uh, 25 pictures lasted about five minutes. But, uh, you know, uh, he, he was really happy he came, and the people just loved the fact that they could talk to him. I mean... It was just yeah. a constant flow of people. Joe, can I get my picture taken? Joe, can I get an autograph? Yeah. It was wonderful. Well, um, in, nine, in 1993, uh, you and Beth uh, started getting Christmas cards from him. Well, yeah, I, I visited Joe at his house in uh, 1993. I had gone to uh, Duke Southern's racing school down here at uh, New Smyrna Speedway and stopped at his house. I did an uh, article on him for uh, RPM. And... Uh, he was in great health then, of course, you know, 30, about 30 years ago, and uh, spent some time with Pat and Joe. And uh, I, uh, like, like you say, in 1993, ever since then, uh, Beth and I uh, got a Christmas card from them every year and became good friends and kept in touch uh, all those years. Well, and go ahead. Go ahead. Joe, Joe and Pat were in the audience when you received a special award in Daytona. Let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, I, I was honored to uh, receive the uh, uh, media award from the Living Legends of Auto Racing uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, I had to give a talk in front of 450 people. Got, I got through it okay, I guess. But during my talk, uh, I was honored to recognize Joe and uh, reveal how much he meant to the Pittsburgh area. And 
I you know, Joe stood up and everybody gave him a standing ovation. I was so uh, so happy for him. I was so honored to do that. And I think I remember ending uh, my speech or uh, recognition of Joe. I said, uh, Joe, thanks for the memories, and most of all, thank you for your friendship. Uh, I know I said that. Then I went on with my talk. But uh, he was a very special man, and uh, uh, just uh, I'll, I'll, I'll really miss him. I feel sorry for the race fans today because they didn't have the opportunity to experience all the things that you and I and all the other fans uh, in those glory days of Mihalik's career. They didn't get to see any of that. Yeah, you're right, Don. It's uh, that's a shame. I mean, we, we, they have their, their own heroes today, but uh, there was nothing like uh, racing back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, especially the Heidelberg. That's where I... Uh, Learned to love the asphalt, and you know, like saw it for the first time. And uh, uh, Joe was uh, among the many drivers that uh, were running and uh, you know, very competitive racing, and that's why I love asphalt uh, to this day. And uh, like I say, Joe is as good on asphalt as he was on dirt, and uh, we'll just I'll never forget him. One of our visits down there, Donna and I went to his house, and it was kind of interesting. Pat was uh, in charge of some kind of a shelter for dogs that needed yes. looked after. And Joe had a collection of birds there, and he had this, I, I think it was a parakeet, that had no legs. And he would move around with his beak. But the bird was so jealous, even of Pat, that when someone would come and try to talk to Joe, the bird would go crazy. <laughs> but who would think that a yeah. Hall of Famer, a NASCAR driver, would be spending yeah. Yeah. his spare time raising birds? <laughs> and he, he had a whole room of birds, not just the one with no yeah. legs. Yeah, they're both animal lovers. Yeah, and uh, you know, one time Joe uh, told me that he actually had a monkey in his garage. Remember that? I I missed that one. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah he was telling me, tell me about that. So he had all kind of animals, well, but uh, yeah, he he was interesting. Uh, uh, just you know, he ran a business, raised his two kids on his own, and uh, uh, when they were in school, they could uh, work on the customers' cars and then run upstairs to start supper, and then run back down, back and forth, back and forth, checking on the stove until the kids came home, and then uh, they ate and helped with. Uh, kids with their homework, and then uh, right back down to the garage to work on uh, customers' cars or uh, race cars. And uh, and a lot of people told me that uh, Joe uh, set up race cars for them in addition to his own car. Here's a story that a lot of people are not aware of. Joe and Herb Scott were arch rivals in PRA. And they had a lot of run-ins over the years. And Herb's wife would talk to Joe's wife and said, let the boys be boys. Just let them play. And, and And the wives continued to be friends. But Herb had a bad wreck at Monduke. He totaled the car. And I have pictures of it, and I'm going to put them up on Facebook. Doc Frawley called Joe and asked him to rebuild the car. So Joe is rebuilding the car that Herb's going to drive, and they'll be rubbing wheels for years in the car that Joe rebuilt. Boy, that is amazing. Yeah. So off the off the track, they were you know, pretty good friends. Well, no, I didn't say uh, that. No, uh, no, but uh, Joe, Doc asked for help, and, and Joe was there to help him. 
they they might have been friends, but I don't think so because on a couple occasions, Joe and Herb, they were mixing it up pretty bad. Yeah, well, I miss those days. That was what South Park, oh. Heidelberg on a dirt race. Yeah, and and so many. You you mentioned that that race seven nights a week. I can recall, you know, like I said, I was helping Vilsack. You know, they had Little Washington, Monduke, uh, they had South Park, they had Heidelberg. Uh, I think Butler might have even been in there. There were so many tracks that uh, that they could race at, and it was uh, it was a pretty nice deal. I feel that that era of racing was probably the most enjoyable time I ever I, had. I, I totally agree. Oh, uh, one more story, Bob. Joe was telling me, uh, Buddy O'Connor had to go to a wedding one Saturday night and uh, asked Joe to drive his car. And Joe won the feature. And then uh, after the race, Buddy came to the track, suit and tie, all dressed up. And he said, what would you do that for? He he was kind of mad that Joe won. Made him look bad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I, I can picture Buddy in a coat and tie there and... (laughs) What happened? Well, Dave, we got to wrap this up. Uh, today's show is a special tribute to Joe Mihalik, and your part of it made it even more special. And I want to thank you for that. Don, uh, uh, thank you for having me on. Joe is special to me, and uh, uh, um, I'm really going to miss him. Thank you. You have a good evening. You too, Don. This portion of today's program was brought to you by Alternative Power Sources. We hope you enjoyed tonight's program. Wrappin' on Racing is available Monday at 6 p.m. on Apple TV, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and wrappinonracing.com. We want to thank Jennerstown Speedway, the title sponsor for Rapid On Racing, and our marketing partners, Alternative Power Sources, Environmental Air Incorporated, plus Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, RPS Financial Solutions, Toma Mean Market, and Zarin Truck and Automotive. Additionally, thanks go to co-hosts Dave Oliveri and our reporters, Howie Bayless, Tyler Harris, Bill Korch, Tom Lang, and Jim Zufall. Special thanks to our senior engineers and technical advisors, Bill Korch, Ted Luzik, and Gary Scott, along with Bob Miller, our multimedia data collection facilitator. That's all for Rapid on Racing. I'm Lenny Baticki. We'll see you next time. Stand on it. Come on, man. Stand on it. Stand on it now. Jennerstown Speedway proudly presented Rapid on Racing, the Tri-State's number one motorsports talk show. Today's program was brought to you in part by our marketing partners. Recognized by the Eastern Motorsports Press Association as one of the top racing shows in the Eastern United States, be sure to join us the first Monday of each month during the offseason for more Rapid on Racing. Stand on it. Come on, y'all. Stand on it.